be younger kids that you would be dismissed, but uh, but we can dismiss the young kids now. <clears throat> Did you know there's actually a field of study called ufology? U f o l o g y ufology. It is the study of UFOs. And one of the leaders in this field of study is an astronomer named J. Allen Hynek. And he has devised a classification of UFO sightings, which he refers to as close encounters. Okay? And there are basically three kinds um, of these close encounters. The first kind is basically just a sighting of an unidentified flying object. That's the first kind. The second kind is a visual sighting plus physical effects on animate or inanimate objects, possibly maybe uh, uh, wind or, or anything else. But there's, there's more than just a sighting. And the third kind is sightings of occupants or beings in and around the UFO. And so this is where the movie of the 1970s got its name, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Because there were aliens that had landed in that movie. Now, lest you think, like, what does this have to do with anything? Uh, We're not going to be talking about UFOs today, but I say all of this because apart from divine intervention... There are few, if any, ways to explain the events of our passage today. And one is almost left with the necessity of a close encounter of a third kind. Now, I'm talking about the events of the Magi being informed of the birth of a child in a country hundreds of miles away and then coming, traveling all that distance to worship that child. How would they ever gained that specific information. Well, today we want to look at the visit of the Magi. It's a familiar passage for all of us. You've heard the story of the wise men many, many times. And so I hope the familiarity with it does not cause us not to hear the message that God has for us. So, we want to look today at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I've entitled it simply, Worship of the King. And the context, (laughs) I think we're probably fairly familiar with the context. The angel had announced to Joseph and Mary that that they would have a child that would be conceived by the Holy Spirit. It was a supernatural work of God. And then Matthew tells us very succinctly in his account, remember there are basically two accounts of the birth of Jesus, one in the book of Matthew and then the other in the book of Luke. And in Matthew's account, he very succinctly says, she gave birth to a son and, and he, Joseph, called his name Jesus. We have none of the details that Luke provides about Nazareth and Bethlehem or the shepherds. Matthew tells us the story of the birth of Jesus, emphasizing that he was born of the Holy Spirit and then moves immediately from that into the story of the Magi. And that's what we want to pick up today. In Matthew chapter 2, let's begin to look at verses 1 and 2. We have the arrival of the Magi. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, 
Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. After Jesus was born, this event probably took place several months, and very possibly up to two years after Jesus was born. I know we always, in our nativity scenes, we have the the wise men there offering their gifts, and, and that's fine because it's a, it's a truth associated with his birth, but they, they didn't come to the stable, as, as we'll see. That period of time would certainly include the time it took for the Magi to make the preparations necessary for a thousand-mile journey and to make that journey. And we're also told, as we'll see in our passage, that uh, they were directed to the house where... Jesus and his parents were staying. It's no longer a barn or a cave or a stable or whatever, but it's a house. And in next week's passage that we're going to look at when Herod slaughters the young children, he instructs it to be done from the, for those two years old and under. And so that would likely indicate the length of time from when Jesus was actually born to now this event. So, period of time, several months, maybe two years. And then we are introduced to the Magi from the East. Now, as Tracy indicated before we sang that final song, a lot of traditions about the Magi or the wise men. Um... It's suggested, uh, by the song at least, that they are kings. And it's suggested in tradition that there were three. And that would be, as Tracy indicated, most likely because there were three gifts. So there were three magi or wise men to offer these gifts. But we even, from tradition, have their names. And that's Caspar, Belfazar, and Melchior. So those are the names of the three that came. But... If we're going to look at this historically, historical studies show that these magi were not kings, okay? They were a powerful group in the high echelons of the governments in the eastern countries of Persia, uh, Babylon, Arabia, in the eastern countries. Again, not the Orient, meaning the Far East, but the East, east with respect to Israel would be Persia, Babylon, and, and, and those countries. <clears throat> but they were a, a group in the echelons of government in these countries that had great influence upon the political rulers and even the selection of kings. That's significant when they come to Jerusalem and Herod's, here's, here's these kingmakers arriving in Jerusalem. Okay, we'll look at that in a minute. But that's part of who they were and what they did. They specialized in a combination of religion and sorcery and astrology, astronomy and an interpretation of dreams. We encounter them first, actually not in this narrative of around Jesus' birth, but in the book of Daniel. Uh, it refers to the wise men in Babylon where Daniel was. And Daniel was made ruler over the wise men. And so it's very likely 
that they would have learned about the God of Israel and the prophecies of the Messiah from Daniel the prophet. And those traditions may very well then have been passed down among the Magi um, in, those, in those countries. And so we're told that they arrive in Jerusalem. They don't go immediately to Bethlehem, but they arrive in Jerusalem. Now, why would, why would they go there? Well, that's the capital city. That is where they would expect to find one who had been born as a king in the capital city. And then the question they ask is, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They're not coming to find out if he had been born. We heard a rumor that. No, that's not why they're coming. Somehow they had been told and they were convinced that a king had been born. They were convinced so much so that they embarked upon this thousand-mile journey. And they relate the source of their information as his star. We saw his star when we were in our country in the east. This is what they had seen that had somehow, now think about this, they saw his star, and from that star they had been informed that a child had been born, it was a king, and it was in uh, the king of the Jews in the land of Israel. Somehow they had been communicated that information from his star. Now there's a lot of conjecture about what the star is. Some would say that it's planetary alignments. Uh, some uh, suggest comets or novas, uh, some such things. But none of those things could have, would have communicated with preciseness that a king of the Jewish people had been born. And a king of such significance that they had traveled all that distance to worship him. Now, the word worship here, some point out, can uh, mean simply to pay homage, as you would pay respect. But if, and if that's all that it meant here, it would be significant. But I think they felt compelled to travel all that uh, distance for more than simply to pay homage. They, they, they came to worship, and that will become clear later in the passage. So, that's their arrival. Let's look at Herod's response to this. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Well, let's talk about Herod for a little bit. Herod was the king of Israel at this time that had been appointed by Rome. And so Herod, as a king, is under the subjugation dominion of the Roman government. Now, the feelings of the Jews toward Herod ranged from resentment to hatred and despising. They hated Herod. He did many good things for the Jewish people, like building projects and at times famine relief, and it was under Herod's direction that the uh, temple was uh, being uh, rebuilt and, and, and restored. But he was at the same time notoriously cruel and ruthless toward the Jewish people, and extremely paranoid of anyone that he might suspect to take his throne. In fact, history tells us that Herod killed his wife's brother. He killed the high priest. 
He even killed his own wife and two sons as suspecting them of plotting to take his throne. And so when it says that when Herod the king heard that these magi, these kingmakers had arrived in Jerusalem, it says Herod was troubled. His paranoia goes into overdrive. And it says all Jerusalem with him. This probably refers to a great number of people in what would be called the political class. Uh, the Sadducees and the priests and the chief priests, all who shared in the leadership in Israel at that time, they knew that if someone would upset their rule, that, that they would lose out as well. So they were troubled as well. So, verse 4, Gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ or Messiah was to be born. And so he had little knowledge, even though he was the king of Israel, little knowledge of the Jewish religion. So he gathered the leaders together, the religious leader, wanted to know if there's anything that indicated where the Messiah was to be born. What do the rabbis say? What do your scriptures say about this? And then we have the prophecy of Messiah's birthplace. And they, that is the religious leaders that he had gathered together, they said to him, he will be born in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The priests and the scribes knew the Old Testament Scriptures. They were aware of this amazing and specific prophecy of Messiah's birth. It was Bethlehem. Not Jerusalem, it was Bethlehem from which a ruler would go forth. That is, he would be born in that city. And a ruler that would shepherd the people of Israel. And this was their hope and this was their longing that one day this ruler would come. This was the hope of the Messiah that the people of Israel had at that time. And then we go to verse 4 and we see Herod's plan then. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. Tell me when. Tell, tell me exactly when it appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. Well, Herod is already developing his plan to destroy the child. And so he ascertained from them the time that the star appeared. Why would he want to know this? Because in case he could not find a specific child to kill and eliminate that child as a potential ruler, potential ruler to his throne, he's already conceiving the diabolical plan to kill all the infant boys of that age. But he tells the Magi, come back and let me know so that I can worship him too. It's a sinister, conniving lie. And then we read on, we have the worship of the king in verses 9 through 11. And having heard the king, they went on their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
Now, what do we notice about the star here? What we notice here is that the star had not guided them. Okay? I, I know we always have pictures of the, the wise men or the magi traveling, you know, across the desert on their camels, and there's a star off in the distance that they're kind of following. Okay? But that's not what is indicated here. It had appeared to them in their home country, communicated to them that a child had been born, told them what they should do, but then it apparently had disappeared. And now, as they leave Jerusalem on their way to Bethlehem, according to the uh, prophecies that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, they're leaving Jerusalem to go there, now the star reappears to them. And it says it stood over where the child was. Now it positions itself. This star, there it is, positions itself over the very house where Joseph and Mary and the baby were staying. And remember, it's up to two years later. They're no longer in the stable. They're, you see, they're in the, in the house. They came into the house and saw the child. Okay? Now, let me ask you a question. If this star had been some planetary you know, alignment or Venus or Jupiter or a comet or, or, or something, some unusual astronomical phenomena like that, um, that some suggest that that's what it was, let me ask you a question. How could it identify a specific house? How would they... How, how could a... When it gets dark this evening, walk outside, look up in the sky, and look at the stars and say, how could that star, how could one of those stars pick out the brightest one? How could it ever direct you to a specific house? If it came close enough <laughs> to, uh, to, to hover over a house, we'd all be burned to, uh, burned to a crisp. Um, so we don't think that was the case. But, Matthew says, he tells us that they rejoiced when they saw the star. They were ecstatic. It's like Matthew piles up words to, to communicate their excitement. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, they're just off the charts excited when that star appeared to them. Why? What's it, what, why, why does it mean so much? Because it was divine confirmation to them that the star that had appeared to them and told them of the birth and what to do, had now reappeared to confirm that this is the child of which you had been told in your own country. And it directs them to the child. And so they came into the house and saw the child, and they fell down and worshipped him. And the reason I said earlier that I think the word worship here, although it can mean pay homage, it can mean simply bow down to show homage or respect. But it would be redundant to say they fell down and bowed down. Okay? And so the idea there is clearly they fell down and then the word worship takes on that full meaning. They fell down and worshipped him. And, and so as they were overtaken with joy and awe, was confirmed in their hearts. Yes, this is that child 
which we had been told. And they gave him gifts of, and treasures of great worth. And so then we're told about the divine protection in verse 12. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. So God once again somehow intervenes into the lives of these magi, this time through a dream. They had probably suspected nothing on Herod's part. They had no reason to. And so they were planning to do just as he had suggested and requested that they would visit him again and, and tell them about the child and where he was. But God warned them not to go back that way. and Possibly for their own protection, but certainly for the protection of the child. Okay, so that's the passage. Now, what do we learn from this passage? Well, I think there are three things. There are probably many things we could learn. I think there are three things that stand out for us. First of all, we see that in this child, God is again dwelling among his people. You see, we saw this last week in the announcement. Uh, you shall call his name Jesus, which means Emmanuel, God with us. But we see this same truth again this week about God with us, God dwelling with his people. We see it this week in the star. And let me try to explain. It really begins with the appearance of the star to these magi. Now, I've suggested that it's highly unlikely that it could have been simply a planet or some kind of astronomical phenomenon, comet or something like that. Somehow they are told and convinced that there's a very special child that has been born. They're told and convinced that they must go and see this child. How would they ever know... How, how would they ever know about the fact that Jesus had been born? How would they ever know about him? There was nothing of notoriety about his birth. Herod and the priest and the scribes didn't know anything about the birth of Jesus. It was an obscure birth in a stable, in a tiny little town. And from all appearances, it was simply the birth of a peasant child with no fanfare attached to it. Now, you say, well, what about the angels? Yeah, the angels did appear, and, but they appeared to the shepherds. Shepherds. And then they went away. And the shepherds went to see the child. We know that story. And after they saw the child, they left. Went back to their sheep. And so there's, there's absolutely no notoriety about his birth so that anyone, even in Israel, let alone a country a thousand miles away, would know about the birth of this child. How would these high government astrologers and kingmakers know about this in their country? Again, a thousand miles away. It is not news that would have traveled around the world, been communicated. No one knew about it. And how could they have ever been convinced that they must travel and see this child? There's only one way. And it is not a close encounter of the third kind. It is that God had 
to reveal it to them. That's the only way these magi in the East could have come to this understanding and knowledge. And so I believe the evidence suggests that that which appeared to the Magi, that which they call his star, we saw his star in the East, that which told them of the birth of this child, and then it reappears to direct them to the very house where the child is. I would suggest that this star is none other than the Shekinah glory of God. That mass of shining brightness that in the Old Testament was the manifestation of God's presence. It was the glory of God that was the pillar of fire that, what? Led the people of Israel through the wilderness. As it led the Magi to the house. It was this glory of God that inhabited the tabernacle that signified God's presence with His people. Let's go back. Think back into the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. The people of Israel have come out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. God had given them specific instructions to build a tabernacle. What was the purpose of the tabernacle? The tabernacle was the place where God would dwell among the people of Israel. And so that's why he gave very careful instructions, and that's why it had to be built very specifically according to those instructions. Because that's the place where that glory would inhabit, and God would dwell with his people in the tabernacle. And immediately after they completed the construction of the tabernacle, we read this in Exodus uh, chapter 40, Thus Moses finished the work, the tabernacle was now complete, And now notice, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So when the tabernacle was finished, that glory came down and dwelled in that tabernacle and this meant that God was dwelling with the people of Israel manifested in the presence of His glory in the tabernacle. Now, I want you to note this striking similarity as well. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 15, it said, The glory, excuse me, and the Lord appeared in the tent, in the tent, in the pillar of cloud. And now note this, and the pillar of cloud stood at the doorway of the tent. The pillar of cloud stood at the doorway of the tent, meaning the the tabernacle. So there was this, the, the, the glory of God there. Notice the wording. From Matthew, the star came and stood over where the child was. It's the same Greek word from the Greek version of the Old Testament that is used to designate the the glory of God present in the tabernacle that stood at the doorway and the star present at the house where Jesus was that stood over the house. As God manifested His presence with His people of Israel through His glory, He is now saying in the star, in the glory that hovers over the house where Jesus is, that He is now dwelling with His people in the person of this child that has been born. God is again dwelling among His people.
The second thing we learn is that this child is worthy of worship. The whole passage builds up to this climax in verse 11. These men from afar hear of the child. They set out to find him. They encounter an antagonist that would seek to prevent it. There is further confirmation and guidance, and finally they have found him. And what is it they do? They fall prostrate before him in worship. And Matthew clearly sees in this the divine evidence and confirmation that the child conceived and born to Mary in chapter 1 is clearly God. Because it is this child that receives worship. He is conceived and born supernaturally, and now people come from afar to worship this child. This is confirmation that this one indeed is the Messiah of God. And the third thing we learn is that this child will one day receive the worship of the nations. I think Matthew sees in this event, and as God had sovereignly directed this event to take place, I think we see in this a picture in microcosm of what will one day take place. One day. One day this child who has been born will receive the worship of the nations of the world. These that have come to worship the child in Bethlehem are Gentiles, yet they come to worship the King of the Jews. And so it will be. The psalmist says, And the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before Him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and He rules over all the nations. And so that is what is seen in microcosm here at the Savior's birth, that the nations will one day come and bow down before Him and worship Him. And this is a message of hope for us all. He has come. Salvation has come. For unto you is born this day a Savior. Salvation has come. But final salvation and deliverance from this evil world awaits a future time. But this child that has been born is the one who will bring, bring, bring peace to the world. And the nations will one day come and bow before Him. And so may we see in this child that God is dwelling among us even today, and He is with us. May we worship Him today as the one who is worthy, the Son of God, the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. And may we have our hope fixed upon Him that one day all of the evil of this world and this life will be over and he will bring peace to the nations this is our savior let us pray <clears throat> we thank you father for your word again that you have given to us and we thank you for a, this wonderful season that we celebrate your love in giving your son to come to this earth to be born to be born as our Savior and yet the one who will one day rule the nations of the earth as well 
So, Father, receive our praise and worship this day. And may you continue your work in our hearts and lives, not only at this season of the year, but may we be mindful of these truths throughout the year. The Savior has come. His name is Jesus. May we be faithful to Him and faithful to share that news with those around us. His name we pray.